Good afternoon. It is a blessing to be here today. It's a joy to be able to come together on the Lord's Day to remember the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and now to open God's Word together and study. If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, we're going to begin uh, in chapter 5 of Matthew here in just a moment. We're going to spend most of our time in the Gospels. As we consider Jesus, as we have already today in the Lord's Supper, and as we open our Bibles, uh, God's Word says that we look into the Scripture as a mirror. And we, we look specifically at the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels. We see a picture of what we are intended to be as Jesus' disciples. We see the steps that we are intended to walk in, reflecting His character. In 1896, there was a minister named Charles Sheldon who wrote a best-selling Christian novel entitled In His Steps. And whereas maybe many of you might not have heard of Charles Sheldon in his book, I'm sure you've probably heard of the phrase that his book popularized, What Would Jesus Do? WWJD. A hundred years after Charles Sheldon wrote his book, uh, WWJD became a trend within the Christian community, showing up in all types of accessories and, and apparel. Even today, you can find bracelets and baseball caps with uh, the well-known acronym WWJD. What would Jesus do? In Charles Sheldon's novel, uh, In His Steps, he writes of the first church of Raymond, uh, who is dramatically transformed when all of its members make a pledge not to do anything without first asking the question, what would Jesus do? And so the book follows this congregation and the different people that make this pledge and how this commitment to do nothing without asking that question has an impact upon their lives. And it presents a very challenging picture of what discipleship should involve. However, Charles Sheldon's novel ultimately is just one man's imperfect perception of what Jesus would do in the modern world. Because really, if we want to ask the question, what would Jesus do? We first have to answer the question, what did Jesus do? We have to have a firm understanding of who Jesus is, what his purpose, what his mission was, uh, what his character is. And so before we focus on WWJD, maybe we need to spend some time focusing on WDJD. What did Jesus do? Because if we gain an understanding of his footsteps here on earth, we'll have a much better idea of what footsteps we need to be following in. If we gain an understanding of his purpose, his mission, his mind, his motives, his heart, we'll be better able to truly walk as his disciples. So today I want us to turn our attention towards the Gospels and gain a very basic understanding of WDJD. What did Jesus do? What does Jesus say throughout the Gospels about his purpose, about his work, and about what he came to accomplish? Jesus has many statements throughout the Gospel about what his purpose is. You might even be familiar with the, the common phrase that Jesus uses, I did not come to blank, but to blank. 
Uh, many times we see Jesus stating very clearly what his purpose was not and what his purpose was. And so let's focus on that together today, that hopefully as we consider Jesus' life, we can look at our own hearts and our own lives. We can look into his life as a mirror and seek to truly follow in his steps. The first thing that I want us to consider in the Gospels is that Jesus came to fulfill. If you're in Matthew chapter 5, here in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 17 through 19, we read Jesus saying, Starting in verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here, Jesus came in obedience and submission to the Father's will. He came to fulfill the Father's plan for his life. And here in Matthew chapter 5, he is really answering the uh, viewpoint of the Pharisees who believe that Jesus is a heretic. That Jesus is a, a rebel here, that he is taking the old law and he's throwing it out and saying, we don't need to, to focus on obeying God I have something new. Well, Jesus is making it very clear that while certainly he is discarding the traditions of the, the Jewish people, and while certainly he is bringing about a change in the covenant relationship that they share with the Lord, he didn't come to take away obedience to God and to his law. And in fact, he urges a stricter and more exacting view of obedience to God's law than even the Pharisees um, did themselves. Look down in verse 20, it says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, in coming to earth, did not uh, reject or abolish God's law. He came to obey it. And to fulfill it. He did not have a looser view of God's law than the Pharisees, but had a greater devotion, a truer obedience. When it came to obeying God's word, Jesus was committing to crossing his T's and dotting his I's. You look there in verse 18, he says, Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. You know, many times when you think about exacting obedience, about strict adherence to God's word and to God's will, uh, you know, we think, well, well, isn't that what the Pharisees did? Isn't what that, that what the Pharisees were rebuked for? Well, in fact, Jesus never rebukes the Pharisees for their obedience. <laughs> he never rebukes the Pharisees for their strictness and adhering to God's law. Now, he certainly rebukes them for binding their own traditions. He rebukes them for neglecting the weightier matters of the law. He rebukes them for being blind teachers of the blind, for their hypocrisy. But Jesus never rebukes them for being too committed to obeying God's word. Now, Jesus encourages here a deeper devotion and an unwavering obedience to God's will. And that was part of his mission and his purpose, was to fulfill the will 
of God. John chapter 6 and verse 38. We reference John 6 during the Lord's Supper. Uh, you see here in John 6 and verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Part of the purpose of Jesus, uh, really the, the entire purpose of Jesus, revolved around fulfilling God's will within his life. Jesus didn't come down to earth to sightsee. Every decision, every word, every action, every moment of every day was focused on fulfilling the will of his Father. You know, Jesus didn't wake up in the morning and, and think, well, I wonder what I feel like doing today. No, Jesus woke up every morning knowing that his purpose here on earth was to fulfill the will of God, the mission that God had for him. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, when Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well and Jesus' disciples come back with food for him to eat, Jesus does not eat, even though we were told earlier in the passage he was weary. Uh, it says, Jesus said to them here, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Obeying the commission of God took precedent over any of his personal wants or needs. This was his focus. Uh, Jesus knew that he was here on earth for a mission, and he was going to fulfill the Father's will. Jesus shows us throughout the Gospels that obedience to the Father's will means abiding within his word and not presuming upon his authority. Continuing in the book of John here, consider John chapter 5 and verse 19. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Later on in verse 30, Jesus again says, I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What does it mean to seek the will of God? What is that going to look like? Well, Jesus illustrates to us what it looks like to seek the will of God. It means only acting, only abiding within those things that we see and we hear from the Father. Verse 19, he says, I only do those things that I see from the Father, that the Father shows me. Verse 30, he says, as I hear, I judge. You know, if Jesus, the Son of God, refused to act on his own initiative while his, he was here on earth, how much more do we need to abide within the authority of God's word and not act on our own initiative, on our own ideas or our own perceptions of we, what we think might be pleasing to God? Now, Jesus shows us that obedience to God's will means only acting as we see and we hear from the Father, abiding within his word, within his authority. And so if we're going to walk within the footsteps of Jesus, our, our daily motto needs to be what Jesus said in the garden as he faced the cross, not my will, but your will be done. What does it mean to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Well, in this one area, it does not mean to loosely adhere to the teaching of God's word. It does not mean to value sentiment above scriptural authority. It does not mean to encourage a permissive and carefree approach to
to discipleship, it does mean to diligently obey and submit to the will and the word of God. If we want to follow in Jesus' steps, we need to regard God's word and God's will the way that Jesus did. We need to recognize that we, as well, are not here on earth to sightsee. That we, every moment of every day, have been given a purpose for life, a purpose to fulfill our Father's will, to walk within his word. But secondly, if you turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, again we see Jesus make a, a purpose statement about his uh, mission here on earth. He says in verse 28, uh, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now we'll talk about that last part of the passage later on, giving his life a ransom for many, but I want to focus simply on the first part of this for now. He says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus, although he had every right in coming to earth to accept the, the treatment of a king, did not come so that he could have other people serve his needs. No, he came that he might serve the needs of the world around him. I think more than anything, this is probably the, the aspect of following in Jesus' steps that I think Charles Sheldon does do a, a good job of showing us in his book, In His Steps presenting a challenging picture of seeking to serve those around us as Jesus sought to serve those around us. What, what do we see Jesus doing as he goes from place to place here on earth? We see Jesus reaching out in love to the poor and the needy and the suffering. While his mission certainly was ultimately a spiritual mission and not a physical mission, we see that this type of service to those in even physical need and sickness um, was perhaps one of the greatest ways that he illustrated the character of his message, that he showed his love and his compassion for the world around him. And it is certainly an area that we need to be imitating if we are seeking to follow in his steps. As we look throughout the gospel, specifically the gospel of Matthew, consider how many times we see Jesus being moved by compassion to reach out uh, and to minister to people in need. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36, we read, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus felt compassion for the people. And as we look at this phrase that he saw, they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. I think we normally primarily and probably rightly so make a spiritual application of that. The spiritual condition that they were in, not having uh, the good shepherd to provide for them. But not only is Jesus preaching and teaching here, we also see in the context that he is healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That his compassion extends to their physical needs, that in a physical sense they have needs that are not being tended to and cared to uh, by their leaders at this time. 
So we see Jesus' compassion not only leads him to preach and to teach, but to serve and to minister. We see this even more clearly as we continue through Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. What did Jesus' compassion lead him to do? To minister, yes, even to their physical needs. Matthew 15, verse 32. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. Jesus had compassion for those who were hungry here, uh, who were experiencing hunger in this case because of their devotion to Jesus and coming out to hear him teach. And Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34 Again, we read, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him as he heals some blind men in this case. And so we see Jesus time after time being moved with compassion to minister to the needs of those around them, to be a servant in every aspect. Does this describe us? Do we have the heart of Jesus? Can we say that when we look at the needs of people around us, we are truly moved with compassion? Jesus was. What is our first reaction when we see somebody in need? I'm afraid at, at times my reaction has been, well, you know, if I give them money, they're probably just going to use it on drugs. You know, or, you know, why are they out here on the street corner? They, they need to be going and, and looking for a job. That, that's my first reaction sometimes. And while certainly there are people who are the victims of their own poor choices, and maybe many are in that situation, does that somehow exempt us from feeling compassion for them? <laughs> that their poor choices has caused this suffering upon them? Well, no, we still need to be moved with compassion for them. And does the possibility that somebody may be making poor choices free me from the obligation of helping anyone? If we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we can't pick parts of his footsteps to follow and other parts not to. Here, Jesus was one who felt compassion for people around him and who showed that by ministering to people's needs, illustrating his love and his care in even tangible physical ways. In Acts chapter 10, in verse 38, as Peter here is preaching to Cornelius' household, notice how he describes Jesus' uh, ministry. He says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Does that describe me? If people look at my life, would they say that I am one who goes about doing good? Well, if I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus, that needs to describe me. If I am a disciple of Jesus, I need to be one who is zealous for good works. As we look throughout the epistles, even Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we read that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. 
Jesus redeemed us. He made us his workmanship so that we might shine his light and reflect his love and his compassion by doing good deeds, by pursuing good works. This is ultimately how we are described in Matthew 5 to shine our lights. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When people see my life, when they see what I do from day to day, when they see how I interact with other people, are they drawn to see my good works and glorify my Father who is in heaven? If not, why not? Am I not shining the light that Jesus intended for me to shine? When people looked at Jesus' life, his love, his care, his compassion for other people was evident. Uh, You didn't have to be around him long to know of his love for those around him. Brethren, that needs to describe us. We need to feel the compassion that Jesus felt. We need to be moved how he was moved. Our ministry, uh, individually from day to day, needs to be described as those who go about doing good. But thirdly, we see that Jesus came to proclaim. If you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, in verse 38, we see that Jesus' service to other people was always connected with his message. His mission um, was never separated from his message. Mark 1, verse 38, he says, uh, it says, He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may approach there also. Um, for that is what I have come there, so that I may preach there also. Excuse me. For that is what I came for. Here we see that Jesus' service to those in need was always just one part of a much greater message that he sought to communicate to mankind. Jesus never shined the light of good deeds without shining the light of God's word. His message was always the central focus of his mission. He was not just a champion for for social justice or or political reform. Uh, Jesus' mission was spiritual, to proclaim the good news of eternal salvation. Consider John 6 again. We uh, referenced that earlier. John 6, verse 27, as these people are coming to receive another meal from Jesus, Jesus tells them, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Later on in verse 63, he makes it very clear what this food that he's speaking of is. He says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus came with a message. A message not just of making our lives here on earth better and more comfortable and more joyous. He came with a message of salvation to our souls, a message of eternal life. And as we talked about earlier, Jesus was not the bread of life because he fed the hungry. Jesus was the bread of life because he nourished the soul. Jesus was not the great physician because he healed 
the lepers and the lame and the blind. Jesus was the great physician because he brought the solution to the sickness of sin within our lives. Jesus was not the light of the world because he opened the eyes of the physically blind. He was the light of the world because he opened the eyes of the spiritually blind. And so while I think we do need to be careful that we do not downplay the importance of serving people's physical needs, at the end of the day we have to realize that serving people's physical needs within itself was not Jesus' mission. It was only one part of a much greater mission. If Jesus came down to earth simply to make our lives here more comfortable and enjoyable, then he failed in his mission. Because as his disciples, we are promised that we will undergo persecution. We are promised that we will suffer pain and sorrow, that loved ones will die. But brethren, that was not Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission, although it was illustrated by his love in serving people's physical needs, his mission was ultimately to heal their eternal sickness, to give them hope of eternal life, to give us a hope beyond this temporary existence. And so Jesus came with a message of something much greater than food, uh, something much greater than physical healing. In John 18, verse 37, as he's speaking with Pilate near his crucifixion, it says, Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king, and for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Why does Jesus say he came into the world in this passage? says he came to testify to the truth. He had a message. His kingdom is made up of those who follow the truth and those who proclaim the truth. If we want to follow in his steps, we must testify to the truth as well. And so as Jesus' disciples, if we're going to follow in his steps, we can't just shine the light of good deeds. We need to shine the light of of the gospel and the light of truth as well. We are entrusted with a message of eternal salvation and it is our greatest commission to take the message of salvation to the lost world around us. At, each of, at the end of each of the synoptic gospels, what is the last message that Jesus has for his disciples? What, what is the last marching orders before his ascension? Well, in Matthew 28, we read, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe that all that I commanded you. In Mark 16, verse 15 and 16, we read, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. In Luke chapter 24, verse 46 and 47, we read, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Brethren, if we endeavor to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, then we need to keep his prime directive as our primary 
Commission. We need to maintain the proclamation of the gospel of eternal salvation as our central focus. And if trying to walk in the footsteps of Jesus leads us in, in some way to compromise his message or to compromise the truth, then we have missed the mark entirely. Jesus not only had a, a mission, he had a message to proclaim to the world. And we as well have been entrusted with that message. If we're going to walk in his steps, we need to hold forth the word of light to the world around us. And that brings us to our last point, that Jesus ultimately came to save. 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you'd like to turn over there, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Paul states it very clearly and very plainly. He says, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Why did Jesus come to earth? He didn't come to save us from cancer or from birth defects or from old age. He didn't come to save us from poverty or hunger. He didn't come to save us from social injustice or political corruption, although some of those things may be side effects, uh, should be side effects of the gospel. The gospel is about him coming to save us from our sins and from their eternal consequences. And Jesus did not just proclaim salvation. He accomplished it. Remember Matthew 20 and verse 28 that we read earlier, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, in a very real sense, lived what he preached. He accomplished what he preached. And the greatest way in which Jesus serves us is by dying upon the cross to obtain atonement and redemption for our souls. You know, if Jesus' mission had been anything else, he wouldn't have needed to die on the cross. Uh, if he had just come to institute social reform, if he had just come to uh, you know, make our lives better, he could have done that in a million other ways. But the salvation of our souls required that he go to the cross. And the cross is the center of the gospel, that Jesus died to save us from our sins. When we gather each first day of the week, you know, there are a lot of different things that we could remember about Jesus. You know, we could remember him turning the water into wine. We could remember him casting out demons. We could remember him healing the lame and the, the lepers and giving sight to the blind. But the one thing that Jesus has instructed us to remember about him is the focus of his mission here on earth, his death upon the cross for our sins. We remember his death to provide atonement for us so that we can have a hope of eternal life. The mission of the cross needs to be the focus of our message to the world. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, we're very familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. 
The same love and compassion that led Jesus uh, to serve those in need around him, that he illustrated and demonstrated in that way, ultimately led him to die on the cross for you and for me. And the message of the cross, we're told here, is primarily not a message of condemnation and judgment. The message of the cross is a message of hope and of salvation. A message that God loves us deeply enough to send his own son so that we might have eternal salvation. Is that the message that we are proclaiming to the world? In John chapter 12, verse 46 and 47, Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my saying and does, them, uh, does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. Now, as Jesus goes on, he makes it evident that if we disobey him, if we reject the light, we will be judged by his words. But Jesus makes it very clear that his purpose and his mission was focused upon the salvation of people's souls. He did not come to judge. He came to save. As I think about the message that we communicate to the world around us, I think it's helpful for us to ask the question, is our message a message of judgment or a message of salvation? Because I think sometimes in our effort to testify to the truth, um, we can become so fixated on condemning the world around us and on pointing out everything that is wrong with society around us that we fail to take the message of eternal salvation to those people who are sick in sin. Certainly light will expose darkness, but that's not its primary purpose and goal. The, the purpose of light is to enlighten and bring to the light. I've heard it phrased this way before. I think it's very helpful for me to consider. Am I building a lighthouse or am I just cursing the darkness? Do we get so fixated on, on, on policing the world around us that we forget to actually shine the light that God has given us? Our mission is not to condemn. Our mission is to take those people who are in condemnation and bring them to the light. That's the mission and the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus' mission was not to accomplish judgment, his mission was to accomplish salvation. And those who reject the uh, accomplishment of that upon the cross are those who will receive judgment. And so as we consider what Jesus did, as we consider WDJD, we need to realize that Jesus came to fulfill, Jesus came to serve, Jesus came to proclaim and Jesus came to save. And so what does that mean for me? As I look at Jesus as a mirror for my own heart and my own life, now I can ask the question, what would Jesus do? If Jesus were in my shoes, if he were standing here right now, if he were interacting with the people that I interact with from day to day, what would he do? If we truly and honestly answer that question according to the scriptures, it is going to transform the way that we live our lives. Jesus would be careful to obey the Father's will and submit to the authority of his word in all things. 
Jesus would reach out in love and compassion to serve those in need around him at every opportunity. Jesus would be diligent to proclaim the good news of salvation and shine the light of truth on those who are lost in the darkness of this broken and sin-sick world. Is that what I'm doing? Can I say that I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus? That's what we've been called to, to follow in his steps, as 1 Peter 2 talked about that we read earlier. What about you today? Is there some change that you need to make as you leave here today? Is there something that you recognize in your life that is not in accordance with the footsteps of Jesus? By God's grace, you have been given another day. You've been given an opportunity to change, to become who he wants you to be. And if you have not committed your life to him, if you have not become a disciple of his, committed to following in his steps, by his grace, you have been given the opportunity to have your sins washed away in baptism. If you're willing to repent of your sins, God in his grace will cleanse you of that old life. You can bury that old life in the waters of baptism, and you can be raised by the power of God to walk in newness of life a life that will last for all eternity. Do you want that hope today? If there's some change that you need to make, we'll ask, ask that you will let us know uh, before this service is over.